Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Today we have a very interesting topic, supply chain digital ecosystem, how you can optimize the process. I know it's important for my clients, for many big companies, because we need to optimize the system. And today, uh, almost all companies were digital. So I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Robert Olzak. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for reaching out and inviting me to join the podcast and talk to your audience. Yeah, big pleasure, big pleasure. I know it's important. I want to know more about that because even working in digital marketing, we need to have the right process because it impacts marketing results. Because if customers don't like delivery, don't like something uh, in products, uh, yeah, it can impact to our results. So that's why I'm so excited to learn more about that. And Robert, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about this important topic. Sure. Um, again, thank you for inviting me. Uh, my name is Robert Olzak. I'm currently the VP of Global Supply Chain Optimization with a uh, reputable consulting firm. I've got about 30 years in the industry. I've held a variety of different roles, everything from chief operating officer to uh, vice president, president. Um, I've also worked a good substantial portion of my career at FedEx and UPS. I've uh, been in the consulting business for a little more than a decade and currently hold a MBA in business strategy and project management. And while working in this role, I'm pursuing a PhD in global supply chain and logistics from Liberty University School of Business Administration. So um, I think all of I think the topic for today is really relevant, uh, especially coming off the heels of COVID and what we're seeing not only in the marketplace, but with some of our clientele in terms of how they become more competitive on a global footprint, how they've become more agile, how they're able to be more resilient and responsive to supply chain disruptions, which obviously got a lot of visibility during you know, the two and a half, three years of COVID. Um, and then, you know, just really where is the future and what are the trends um, pointing to over the next, you know, five to seven to 10 years in terms of supply chain and the digital capabilities within that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Nice, nice. I, I love your experience. Awesome, awesome. Okay, let's learn more about that. Can you tell where to start? For example, if we have supply if we have the process that works but uh, how to optimize how to improve speed quality of this service uh, so uh, any insights tips about brainstorming uh, the working process to make it better right so i would say um and again you know you've probably seen this in a lot of literature whether it be industry, trade publications, uh, statistical research, or, or scholarly articles, um, you know, for a lot of organizations, especially in the retail or consumer space, they're chasing Amazon, right? Amazon mm -hmm. created this environment where uh, it gave the consumer uh, a certain amount of intelligence to say when they place an order, they can track that package from the point the order is placed all the way to the time it's delivered to their front door. Uh, FedEx and UPS and other large carriers have been doing this for a while as well in terms of creating that real-time visibility. So all of this goes into the customer experience. As 
new entrants into the market or as companies become more consolidated through mergers and acquisitions, we see um, an increased need for not only the speed of the network, but the real-time visibility over products, whether it be finished goods, raw materials, and more importantly, how as the supply chain on a global scale becomes a little bit more decentralized, how does information and data flow? Um, what is the what is the upside or importance of having that real-time visibility to better manage the business? And if you look at the current situation that we're in now with the, you know, let's call it the economic instability and potential volatility of a recession, it becomes even more imperative that um, large organizations and business leaders have that intuitive insight and that artificial intelligence and on-demand reporting in terms of data capabilities to better manage the business, um, whether it be working, working capital allocation, uh, resource allocation, or just really taking the full capabilities of the system and the network infrastructure to better drive the customer experience and, and remain competitive in the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. By the way, I love AI tools. It doesn't mean that AI can replace a manual job. Yeah, it can replace some manual job. That's okay. You know, it helps to save time to optimize the process. But I don't rely 100% to AI tools. <laughs> we need to edit, to check out, to analyze how it works, uh, to relate, I don't know, like to our experience. Now, for example, I usually use for generating text, uh, uh, for creating pictures, for creating structure, but uh, it's better to check out manually because it's not golden button. <laughs> and uh, uh, I spoke with many experts who use AI uh, on their tools, for example, for Amazon prices, for uh, stock predictions. Uh, by the way, yeah, once I decided to believe, uh, to trust uh, AI prediction, uh, I bought a uh, stock price and that was down a lot. So after that, I decided, no way, I will never listen to AI prediction in on stock price. Uh, okay, let's talk about um, consultancy. You have a huge experience on that. And I found in marketing, um, we have the issue to tell uh, our customers what to do uh, or um, you know how to choose priorities, what uh, it's important to do because you know when companies have many other tasks to do, they're busy, uh, and uh, according to a few studies, companies usually implement 40% of all uh, tips. No, so 60% are ignored, uh, probably of focusing, probably of uh, have no resources, any insight. Can you tell how to tell? customers that it's important how to transfer data that we need to do it uh, because if you create a list uh, of course you got payment for your consultancy but uh, you want to cooperate with a customer longer so uh, uh, your customer needs to get uh, results from your service uh, to cooperate and retain longer any insights how to explain that it's important, please do it, uh, spend time with that, uh, invest some resources. Uh, so any insights how to teach in the right way? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, as it applies to the topic for this pod, for this episode, 
you know, and digital ecosystem maturity. You know, I want to take a, a step back. I'm going to answer that question in a couple of different ways, if you'll bear with me. But I want to take a step back yeah. and really, for your audience, kind of sure up what that terminology means. I mean, supply chain is is known for its um, love of acronyms, uh, especially within the tech space. I mean, you have ERPs and WMSs and TMSs and MESs and all of these different acronyms, which are just, you know, short for, short vernacular for the different systems and technology enabling tools. Um, over the last, you know, decade, obviously, we've seen a rapid improvement in predictive an analytics, artificial intelligence, uh, more cloud-based technology solutions, which makes it a little bit more economical and, and affordable for clients, especially in your tier two and tier three space where they don't have a ton of capital to invest in helping to automate or, or drive the the master data management of their business. And then you have your Fortune 50 and Fortune 100 companies that have these legacy systems that they're trying to uh, enhance or upgrade or reconfigure to be more relevant to the current environment. So when you talk about digital system or digital ecosystem maturity, it, it really involves a couple of things. Number one is it's the way that a organization interacts with its suppliers, with its customers, with its vendors, with all of the intricacies in terms of the complexities of its supply chain network. Um, that's important because in more traditional times, well, you know, going back when I started my career in supply chain, um, it was more of a hub and spoke model and, and it was more autonomous in the sense that I think organizations and companies were dealing with a smaller supplier base, right? So if I want to leverage my annual spend and I do so by really just farming out 80% of my business to two primary suppliers, it makes it a little bit easier to manage. Fast forward to today, you have some companies that are, you know, interacting or engaging with 300 suppliers. So how do you coalesce and bring all that together in a way that is meaningful and useful? What I find interesting, and as I pay particular attention to the market and you know, even the work that we do with our clients is that, um, that you know, recent statistics show that about 70% of CIOs, CFOs, COOs, CEOs, the C-suite has an appetite and interest in investing long-term in building out their digital ecosystem maturity. Um, with that, though, less than 5% are realizing year-over-year -year growth, less than 8% on average see any type of real return on investment within the first 18 months of some of these initiatives going live and then moreover the sustainability and this is going to lead to answering your question so when you look at the statistics behind this you know there's this big gap between we know we have to make our system more viable we have to be more agile and what you're starting to see is both the in a virtual world and in the practical world in which we exist those two are becoming more and more intertwined. Um, and, I, and again, going back to that Amazon reference earlier, when you order a package and you can trace it through the life cycle of the shipment and see it you know, show up at your doorstep. The way that um, our firm, RGP, which I'm very proud to represent, works with clients and you know, to answer your question more specifically around how do we help our clients not only realize the benefit of this, but more, moreover, understand how to execute it and how to maintain it and sustain it. Um, 
we're living in interesting times because out of out of COVID, the work environment shifted. Um, we see a lot more remote workers. We see a lot more hybrid work environments where maybe you have segments of your business that are on site for two or three days a week or rotating shifts or schedules. We also see a larger displaced workforce um, going back to that r- remote environment. So that creates a new kind of complexity to the way even within an organization, the workforce interacts with one another. Um, I'm sure you can attest to this. It used to be very easy to be in an office, walk away from your cubicle, go down the hall and talk to a peer and, you know, sort through a problem, right? Um, Now we're doing that through Teams and Zoom and other virtual platforms or very reliant on just data flow um, within the system. So you add in that complexity, then you add in the complexity of customer demand and customer experience, and then you add in the complexity of cost management, it really creates the perfect storm, uh, which reaffirms this need to develop maturity within your digital ecosystem, specifically in the world of supply chain. And I'm talking supply chain from you know, procurement, order management, all the way down to manufacturing, distribution, logistics, final mile delivery. The, the way that we help clients realize the return on investment and the potential from this is we're much more an execution-oriented firm. Um, a lot of times when we partner with clients, the strategy is already formulated. Um, that may have been done internally or through another consulting arm. And then when we come into the fold, it's usually to help drive the execution of that strategy, specifically within the supply chain technology and digital space. And what we've seen is that it a lot of organizations lack the internal either internal intelligence, resource capabilities, or just that diversity of experience. So um, unfortunately, I think another interesting dynamic in this conversation is we're starting to see older generations reach retirement. You know, it's not like growing up. I mean, you know, I was exposed to my grandfather worked for the same company, actually owned his own company, worked for the same company for, you know, more than 40 years. We don't see that anymore. So as turnover and attrition becomes much higher, as the new generation tends to be more receptive to job hopping, you lose some of that tribal knowledge, you lose some of that intelligence and organ that the organization has from a cultural standpoint. This creates a unique opportunity for third-party consultancies to come in and take, you know, industry agnostic subject matter experts and in particular within our firm that, you know, have just like myself, 25, 30 years experience and accelerate the implementation of these initiatives. When you're able to execute, improve the sustainability of that initiative, both from a strategy perspective and just in terms of the way it relates to people, process, and systems within the workspace, you start to harness a greater buy-in. And when you have that buy-in and that top-down leadership support, then it takes, it becomes, it, it, it takes, it becomes, it creates fruition, right? It becomes commonplace. It's not, um, you know, the flavor of the month or, or just a, a passing initiative that in six months, you know, the focus is going to be redirected somewhere else. So from a consulting standpoint, we're always focusing on the return on investment, really being a seamless partner to our clientele to show them that we're acting as an extension of their organization, not necessarily a third party and proving out 
the the concepts or the strategies that they're putting forward i'll pause there nice nice awesome yeah okay let's talk about uh roy about return on investment can you tell how to calculate this data because uh you mentioned many times about return on investment and i think uh when companies uh, are going to invest money to something they wanna know uh, what kind of money they can get back like to invest a dollar to get two dollars back so any tips how to calculate uh, this ROI and uh, how is accurate in the future uh, this calculation? Yeah, so I was reading an article recently where it said, you know, this this domain on a global footprint between um, now and, and 2028 could exceed um, like $6 trillion in market capital. So you know, that lends a lot of opportunity, not only for tech companies that are supplying these solutions, but for companies that can take advantage of the solutions. Um, I too often, you know, when I sit down and talk with CFOs or CIOs or, or CEOs, for example, um, they're easily persuaded by, you know, what is newest, greatest, what is the best on the market, right? And, and what I would caution, you know, senior leaders or executives of organizations to be cognizant of is just because a reputable um, third-party company says that this particular software solution or technology tool is the best in the market doesn't necessarily mean it's the best in the market for you as an organization, right? It has to not only accommodate your current environment, but it has to lend to being scalable for future growth. Having said all of that, you know, the ROI is articulated through not only the immediate improvements, whether it be reducing operating overhead, um, you know, maybe eliminating some waste within the business, um, providing better data or data accuracy or data intelligence to make informed decisions. You know, let's look at it from a distribution and logistics perspective. Um, we've seen time and time again, many scenarios where a company will implement a TMS and there's some sort of residual benefit that immediately is captured that can go to the bottom line. But it's in the sustainability and the adoption and the overall functionality and capabilities of that system long term that's going to create an added benefit. Um, case in point, I was just on a call yesterday with the CEO of a company and they had been contacted by a third-party logistics provider that had pitched a managed service solutions option through a TMS capability. They quantified it at a million dollar savings annualized. That is not, I mean, although that is a potential savings, that's not a realized savings because a lot of times the reason companies don't find or capture the full ROI on these types of investments is because they lack the infrastructure resources, knowledge, skills, expertise to stand up these new systems. And I'll be first to tell you, I'm sure as many of my colleagues would, um, a technology or a system implementation in and of itself without the foundational principles associated with operational efficiencies, process standardization, uh, process engineering, having all of those things embedded, um, you're never going to really fully capture that ROI. So from an RGP perspective and what we do with clients is really it's the execution, the implementation, the, the post hyper care uh, support that we provide to our clients based on the various different technology solutions that exist that helps them realize that ROI 
so that they're able to take full advantage of the system capabilities faster, um, creating more market competitiveness, less risk and exposure, and being able to really drive the business the way they intended. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I tried to count how many times you mentioned the word execution and uh, implementation <laughs> many times and I lost my account. So let's talk about uh, this terminology now. Uh, yeah, I know, uh, for example, when we have a plan, what we can do and when uh, you are going to do or uh, started to do, you can uh, get some challenges, pitfalls, many, many things uh, because different CRM, different process. So can you tell how you uh, decide these challenges that you might uh, see uh, because uh, of changing the process of others? The process works, but you need to optimize to get a much better process, uh, better results. Any insights about the right implementation? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think there's a magic bullet answer to that. Um, and I'm not trying to skirt the issue, but I would say our success as a consulting and strategic partner for many of the initiatives that we supported is really predicated on how we're better able to engage and embrace and become part of the organization, the organizational culture. Um, and with that, I mean, that's a holistic extension of their business. So a lot of times when we talk about execution and especially within supply chain, you know, I'm working with my, my colleagues and other leaders across our solution set in change management and technology and digital and data, um, even in risk and compliance or some other, or even finance, for example, because a lot of these technologies don't only, don't only span you know, the Indian supply chain, but they impact other aspects of the enterprise. Um, the larger and the more complex the organization, clearly the more challenging it is from a change management standpoint. But from a leadership perspective, I believe the success of execution, the stand up of these types of efforts and initiatives. First off, I would say that CEOs or the C-suite has to be realistic in, ex in its expectations. Um, you know, to implement, for example, an ERP system and say, okay, within the first three months, we want to realize the full capabilities and we want to be at stabilization is a little bit naive. I mean, I can tell you from our experience that the runway on that is a lot longer in terms of getting stabilized, uh, especially in a global environment. <clears throat> so I think at real realistic expectations is a, is a big part of that and not applying undue pressure in areas to drive operational efficiency or immediate cost savings um, to allow just like a lot of other aspects of the business to allow it to evolve and mature over time affording your workforce to help drive both the efficiencies and and the other aspects of a technology implementation for example um, the other piece of of this is creating buy-in and, and change management from the beginning right so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a data geek, I, I'm, I'm an academic at heart, obviously, I'm pursuing my PhD. And one of the things I always go back to when I look at these types of efforts and projects that we've supported is kind of Maslow's hierarchy, right? And the psychological needs of the employees. And so, you know, whether it be led by the organization or co-led, you know, using a third-party consultancy such as RGP, it's important to really tap in and understand 
the hierarchical nature of the motivations of the workforce to help drive the execution and, and the change management benefits. The other piece is, is really having a, a sound governance uh, oversight board to these larger initiatives, especially when they're evolving, involving, excuse me, uh, multiple aspects of the business. And then project management. You know, I think, and a lot of times this is another way that from as a consulting firm that we help our clients is because they don't have a formalized EPMO or PMO office in an organization. And even if they do, they may not have the level of expertise to do it at a program level. So a lot of times we can jump right in and, and provide them that immediate um, industry expertise and you know having backed having consultants that are backed with PMP certifications and really understand and have led you know large PMO type initiatives, program management office initiatives for major corporations. And so those three elements, I think, really um, help to, to navigate some of the pitfalls that companies experience as they go through the change management process or adoption of a new technology. And we're able to help augment their teams and really drive um, attainment of those goals through applications of those various concepts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, let's talk about the quote they I can see on uh, your company profile, RGP, to the power of human. You know, <laughs> can you explain what does it mean, you know? Because it's like broad uh, term, but you know, I can feel that uh, it's uh, deep meaning here. Any insights about this quote? <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. You know, I've worked for a lot of corp corporations. Um, both as a permanent employee and as from a consulting perspective. And one of the things that um, I've enjoyed about RGP and one of the things that I think keeps me at RGP, for example, is you know just the wealth of knowledge and talent that we have across our global footprint. I mean, we operate in 48 countries, you know, from a supply chain perspective, I think last time I counted, we have in 560 plus global supply chain consultants, all of whom typically have you know, more than 15 years industry experience. Many of them are um, retired C-suite executives from other corporations who, you know, do consulting um, kind of a, just to keep them active and keep their minds fresh. So, you know, both from a client standpoint and from a consulting standpoint, um, what, I, what I really love about my particular role is that I get to engage with people that a lot of times are a lot smarter than me, right? Or have different perspectives and views on, you know, how to solve problems or how to manage supply chains or how to implement technologies or some of the things we've talked about in the course of this conversation. And that really speaks to harnessing the power of human, right? There's there's a intangible quality um, that you really can't put a price tag on when it comes to human intelligence, creativity, innovation. And within the RGP philosophy and how we manage our business, how we work with clients and how we engage with our consultant base, it's really that principle of we bring something that most clients don't have in-house, and that is the experience, the human intelligence that um, it's, it's been called human capital as an asset, but it's that human quality you know, that each of us possess because we've all lived through either individual experiences um, or you know, have various degrees or difference, different academic pursuits, but it's bringing all that together to create a value added service and solution to our clients. 
um, that I think our clients really appreciate, right, is, is seeing things from multiple perspectives to help them formulate and determine what is the best path forward for us as a business and for our customers. Nice, nice. You remind me of Jeff Bezos. Once he told, uh, if uh, many companies are obsessed uh, because of competition, but mm -hmm. they need to be obsessed because of customers. You know? mm -hmm. And you, uh, you share a lot about customers. Uh, so uh, I agree. I like it. But anyway, uh, can you tell how to compete? with uh, big companies like Amazon, many others. So what kind of unique selling proposition you have? Why customers choose uh, your services? And uh, what kind of benefits customers can get that your competitors can't do? Yeah, so again, from a consulting perspective, um, you know, we have the privilege of working with Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies. I mean, we work with a lot of private equity firms. We've worked with pre-revenue startup companies. So, I mean, we have a, a very diverse portfolio of, of clientele. Um, and I had kind of touched on this in a previous question, but, you know, I think our point of differentiation is in both the intelligence and the capabilities and expertise of our consultant base, um, our leadership in terms of our own industry experience, you know, coming from a variety of different industry segments and, you know, large reputable companies. And then the execution piece, I, I think that is the driver. I mean, it's, you know, I had a boss tell me, an old boss, an old mentor tell me one time, well, two things really. Number one is if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? Um, yeah. So I've always, I've, always, I've always stuck to that. Number two is even the best thought out strategies by some of the smartest people look good on paper, but they don't mean anything if you can't execute against them. And I've always, that's always stayed with me as well as I've moved through my career. So I think from an RGP perspective and what we provide our clients, it's really that it's the execution. It's translating and converting the conceptual innovative thought process that goes into strategy formation and all of the variable inputs that drive strategy development and design um, and really just bridging the gap into execution. I mean, that's what makes us uniquely different, I think, from a lot of our competition, and we do it very well. Now, having said that, you know, there are a number of different clients we work with and a number of different projects that we take on where we are working with other consultancies, um, and we may be playing a particular role in a project. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the way that we're able to operate and, and uh, we always call it playing in the sandbox with other firms. Um, I think to the broader question in terms of customer experience, you know, what attracts and keeps customers loyal to companies like Amazon, Google, um, Microsoft, or any other company is, you know, customer experience. And, and I'm going to tell you, I read something, this was actually tail end of last year, but I read something where a survey had been done globally um, and, cust and they basically asked the customers, a question, you know, which is more important to you, service or cost? And surprisingly, it was, I don't, don't hold me to this, but I want to say it was like 67% of respondents said that service outweighed cost as a priority, right? And so that is something I think that resonates with a lot of our clients is in lieu of cost, and there's a lot of things you can do to make yourself cost competitive, um, especially within supply chain and in terms of 
raw materials and finished products and manufacturing distributor and distributors and wholesalers. But when you come down to customer experience, I think that's a differentiator in the market and why people keep going back to the same companies and, and continue to use their services. Um, so we always try to keep a customer centric focus within the engagements that we support, um, knowing that that's important to not only our clients, but their customers as well. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Awesome. Okay. Uh, let's talk about common mistakes. Uh, you know, for example, when I implement uh, some marketing plans, I usually make mistakes. And for me, it's hard to count how many mistakes I can because uh, nobody knows what actually works. We need to experiment to test many things to find what uh, can provide results. Can you tell about mistakes in supply chain? What kind of mistakes companies still do and uh, how to find a much better way? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, it's a great question. And I think it's a question that we're all trying to figure out the answer to, right? Because uh, supply chain, it, it, I mean, it's a rapidly evolving business and it's a rapidly evolving and kind of fluid dynamic in any organization. And, you know, I've seen it change over the last 30 years. Um, you know, case in point, I, you know, for some of the companies I've worked with, obviously, you know, supply chain was not, supply chain and supply chain managers were not, did not usually have a seat at the table when it came to strategy, right? Um, you know, for example, and I've talked to other colleagues in the business and, and they kind of grew up in, in the same environment. It was like, you know, the business is going to always do what's best for the customer and supply chain is going to figure out how to deliver on it. And that was kind of always the mentality. And I think, you know, the shift has been that in many organizations that we work with, supply chain is now having a seat at the table when it comes to strategy formation or strategic thinking or strategic business decision making. Um, I always equate supply chain to kind of the engine in the car. Um, you know, all of your other business functions kind of assemble the car, but the car can't go anywhere if you don't have the engine. And supply chain, I think, in today's world is that engine that drives business and drives profitability and drives customer experience and efficiencies because whether you're a financial institution or you're a retail consumer, every business has supply chain. Um, whether it's the physical movement of a product from point A to point B or a electronic transaction. And at the end of that, there's a, a customer that it has an expectation that has to be delivered upon. So in, in, say, in having said all of that, I think we make mistakes every day. I think, you know, going back to COVID, a lot of the mistakes that organizations and supply chain managers had historically been making um, based on traditional modes of thought and, you know, proven principles within supply chain management um, really got spotlighted during COVID. And so I think everybody's rethinking a little bit on what does the future look like? And especially as technology uh, increases and continues to become more prevalent as a driver within this business, you know, what does that mean for our workforce? What does that mean for how we look at solving everyday business problems? Uh, I would say the most common mistakes that I often see is a reliance on well we've always done it this way it's worked in the past and we're going to continue to do it this way and mm -hmm. that can that can be applied to a lot of different elements within the supply chain obviously but you know i, I think that fundamental kind of closed mindset is probably one of the things that holds leaders back from really tapping into 
how can we become more creative? How can we become more innovative? How can we take full advantage of all the things that we have at our fingertips today um, to become a more agile, more functional, more responsive, more efficient uh, supply chain network or just business in general, whichever uh, industry you're in or regardless of the size of the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, Robert, uh, let's leave uh, your company. Let's talk more about your experience. You know, uh, sure. the reason why I'm asking about that, I have uh, many students in my network who want to learn something new, who want to jump uh, and uh, on different directions. And uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today uh, to learn more about supply? chain uh, and uh, to become phd candidate in one sunny day <laughs> yeah no that's a great question i mean i have i have adult children uh, some of which are have graduated college some that are still pursuing their degrees um and, and i think that my response to that question applies to whether you're an 18 year old kid about to embark on your college journey or your career or you're you know a 40 something who's on the back end of your career. I've always clung to the idea that um, it's important to be a student of the profession. Um, again, when I started in this industry 30 years ago, it's what it was then to what it is today is drastically different. And I think that I've been able, from a personal standpoint, to remain relevant because I've always treated myself as a student of, of the business. Um, and that means, you know, whether it be continuing education through academic pursuits, uh, on-the-job training, pushing myself to be stretched beyond my limits, do things that where maybe I didn't have a ton of experience, but I branched out and learned, you know, kind of on the fly or very quickly, or just the constant reading of industry publications, trade articles, um, literature reviews, statistical information. You know, I think knowledge is power and understanding um, you know, what is going on within the industry, understanding, and it doesn't have to be supply chain, mind you, you know, speaking to a broader context, if I want to be a lawyer, if I want to go into financial services, or I want to be a pharmacist, whatever your passion is, you know, always be committed to continuous, continuous learning. I was having a conversation, um, with a friend of mine a while back, and we got onto the conversation of experts and, I always frown from that term, and but I see it a lot on LinkedIn. I see it a lot on social media. You see it in the news, and and I always pause and frown a little bit because you know if if I can call myself an expert, I feel like that gives the impression there's nothing else to learn, and I think we all have something to learn. So, to those that are starting out, wanting to accelerate their contribution to a a corporation or, you know, those who have entrepreneurial pursuits and want to do go into business for themselves, I'd say learn as much as you can, as fast as you can, and don't be afraid to fail. Um, I can tell you some of my best wins in both my career, having run my own company, comes from failing. Uh, and I know it sounds a little, little cliche yeah. and I forgot who said it, but fail fast, fail often, and move on. I think those that's going to help you more than a lot of other things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I couldn't agree more because, you know, failing only brings a new experience, nothing else. I remember when Shaquille O'Neal uh, replied to this question and uh, someone asked him what he thinks about failing. And he told 
he doesn't feel failing is failing. He feels like it's education. And when he starts something new, he always fails. Always. You can't avoid failure. But you can learn from that and go ahead. So uh, any education, any school, any course can't tell you what to do. But when you implement, when you start from generic methods, when you uh, adapt to your challenges, then you can uh, change and test many different things. So failing is part of the process, you know. And yeah. uh, Robert, uh, I have the final question about sure. the future. Let's uh, predict the future uh, in supply chain. Many things are coming, metaverse, I don't know, name them. So we'll see, I don't know how it looks. Uh, what do you think uh, to do today to adapt to the future? So any insights about the future and how to adapt to the possible future? So as it pertains to supply chain, and again, this is my opinion. Um, I think there's going to be greater need in the future for less operational savvy experienced individuals and more technology based uh, professionals. And, and we start to see that even now, right? Um, I, you know, there's a higher demand for data scientists, data analytics professionals. There's a higher um, demand within supply chain and organizations for system engineers. So I think we're going to become much more technology centric and technology based in terms of supply chain. And I think that's gonna require a whole new set of skills and competencies and a segment of the workforce that doesn't really exist uh, to its fullest potential today. I would also say that just based on current trends, you know, there's two other drivers that are relevant. Number one is I, I, we're becoming a lot more decentralized. Um, you know, again, the large hub and spoke models, the more traditional concepts of supply chain management, whether domestically or globally, I'm starting to see those subside a little bit and become more decentralized, which means that you are having greater dependency and reliance on uh, a multitude of different suppliers. And then as it applies to, you know, really the overarching topic for this conversation is more orchestration in terms of digital supply chain maturity or ecosystem maturity. And, and that is the collaborative effort of merging technologies and data points and information centers. And, you know, whether you call them data lakes or twin towers or any of the terminology that exists out there, I think it's going to become more incumbent upon businesses and organizations to be more collaborative, which means giving up a little bit of control, maybe outsourcing more of their logistics and distribution network to third parties. Um, and, and really companies becoming a little bit more uh, core centric to what is their fundamental business, right? Uh, and, I'll, and, and not to belabor the question, but I'll just use this as an example. I can tell you I've worked with some retailers even recently um, where they want to build a proprietary, a proprietary you know, technology or, or ERP system or something to that effect. And the problem with that is uh, it's really changing the who they are. It's, it's changing their identity. They're going from being a consumer retailer to becoming a technology company. And although that there may be some benefit to that, but I would I would personally question that philosophy. So I think having said all of that, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting changes over the over the next several years or in, in several decades. But at the end of the day, I would say you know more reliance on 
technology-driven roles and responsibilities within supply chain and organizations, more decentralized kind of supply chain networks, and greater dependency on more broader collaborative third-party relationships to drive the business. Nice. Valuable. So valuable. Robert, it's a big pleasure to get on the show, to learn from you. Tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to follow you, uh, and how to reach out to you. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, uh, you know, I would just say, um, hopefully this will show up, this will be posted on LinkedIn. Obviously, connect with me on LinkedIn. I think that's the best way uh, to contact me. Obviously, you can visit rgp.com and, you know, take a look at our insight page for thought leadership articles and other content. But um, again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience, answer your questions. I thought it was a great conversation. And I'm really blessed to have had this opportunity to speak with you. So I appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Okay, guys, you can find the links uh, to Robert LinkedIn profile in the description below. You can find a website, so open website, uh, keep learning, uh, other services. Uh, thanks again, a big pleasure. Love all your insights, so valuable for me. Uh, I'm pretty sure for my audience as well. Uh, guys, thanks a lot for watching and listening to us. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.